Today, we arrive at a chapter that has been called in the book of Acts the most important chapter. It's the centerpiece and it's the turning point. Now, the question is, why is this the most important chapter in Acts? And the answer is because the clarity of the very message of the gospel has been, it's potentially about to be soiled. What's happened is there's these group of rogue Christians who are traveling around churches and they are, they are saying things that are tainting the gospel message and it's causing massive confusion. And nothing is more important than this message being right. The clarity of it. Like in its truest, most pure form, the message of Christianity is essential. You know, and it's not just back then, it's now and today. Oftentimes when I talk to people who are rejecting Christianity, what I find is they haven't actually been rejecting Christianity, but something they have mistaken it for. There's nothing more important than getting this message right. And it, so it shouldn't just be the centerpiece of Acts. It should be the centerpiece of your life. It should be the centerpiece of the church. And so here, here becomes the question. Is it clear to you? Like, do you know the gospel, the message of Christianity in its purest form? And are you able to articulate it in a way that is clear and true and beautiful to the people around you? And here, here is the, the proof that you know the message. You have joy in your life. It's not that there isn't sorrow in this world, but there is a message that is so filled with joy that when it comes to you, it gives you joy. But not just you. Are you able to bring joy into the people around you? Like you have this message that is the most powerful thing the world has ever known called the gospel, and you can bring this truth to people's lives and give joy to them. And not just in the message, but because you believe it to be true, you work out the implications of it, of it in your life, and you can bring joy to other people. So we're going to be in Acts 15 again, and then I'm going to jump into Acts 16, and I'm going to read five verses there. And there's a little bit in the middle that I'm going to have to jump over. Um, so I'll explain um, it, I would be reading for a long time for that. And, and by the way, we're going to have question and answer again at, at the end of the service. We're back to using my number. Now, what's happened the last few times is it's taken you a bit to get your questions in. So if you have a question, you can feel free to text it during the sermon. I, I don't want you to be distracted. And if you're having a moment with God, I mean, I don't want to steal you out of that. But if you've got a question, you feel free to text it in. So we're in Acts 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And then Acts 16, 1 through 5. God's word to us is this. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way, by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, the conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them 
in, to, to order them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them in giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that just that they we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done among them through the Gentiles. Jumping to chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. All right, our first point. The importance of gospel clarity. Now, there's a hidden backstory here that we don't find in the book of Acts, but if we look in the book of Galatians, we'll see it. And here's what's been happening leading up to this story. For about 10 years, Paul and Barnabas have been doing great work among the Gentiles, and they have been being baptized for about 10 years. And somewhere in this time, Paul and Barnabas and Peter and the rest of the disciples were gathered and they were eating a meal. And in this meal, during this meal, there was Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians. Now, here's something important you need to know. Peter, just before this had happened, was, went to this place and he met with some Gentiles and they all became Christians. Now, there's something you need to know about the history of Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish people thought that the Gentiles were unclean because Gentiles would eat food that the Jewish people thought was unclean. This sounds weird to us, but, but just follow me here. So what the Jewish people then would have to do if they associated with the Gentiles is they would have to go through this purification process if they ate with the Gentile or came in contact with a Gentile. So what's going on is all of these people are gathering together. Peter says, now because of the work of Christ, all have been made clean. All sins are cleansed. All right, so that's where we're at. And then while these Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians are eating together, this rogue group of people comes in and they say, this is wrong. Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians should not be eating together. And they put a bunch of pressure on the disciples. And then look at what happens. Peter and even Barnabas are led astray, and they distance themselves from the Gentiles. Paul is absolutely furious 
about this. He is filled with righteous anger, not because he is worried that the, the feelings of these Gentile Christians have been hurt. He, he sees that the gospel message has just been soiled. Because if every single person has been made clean by the work of Christ, then why are they separating? And his concern is not just the message has been soiled, but now there's a misunderstanding of the true and pure message of the gospel. And for those who are on the outside, they're looking in and they would have a confusion about what the gospel message actually is. Right? He says, you're not in step with the truth of the gospel. Now, in our story today... That was the backstory. Here in our story today, this same group has been traveling around churches and they're causing the same confusion. And, and what they're saying is they're demanding that Gentiles be circumcised the same way that the Jewish boys were, or men were circumcised. And they make it a salvation issue. They say, unless they are circumcised, they cannot be saved, essentially. And this whole council forms about it. Now, Here's what I want you to see right now in this point. Look at the importance that is given to this. So there's this dissension that starts happening. The gospel is becoming unclear. So Paul and Barnabas are doing this great work in Antioch. They leave this city to go travel all the way to Jerusalem. They put everything on pause to go make sure that the message is clear. And then you have James and Peter who are doing this great work in Jerusalem and they stop everything that they're doing to go have this council to make sure everything's clear. And there's this whole gathering among all the disciples to make sure this message is clear. Great lengths are being taken. An unclear gospel message does not just put eternity at stake. It's not just life and death, but it's also life. Meaning this, the gospel, when you work out the implications, will transform every bit of your life. The gospel transforms marriages, families, individuals. It transforms our education. It transforms our politics. It transforms culture. It transforms our creativity. Absolutely everything is transformed. But if the message is wrong, it's lost. Transformation doesn't happen. So the question now becomes, what is the clear and simple message of Christianity? This is our next point. The message of gospel freedom. The question of the debate is this. Has Jesus accomplished everything necessary for our salvation? Or is there something else that we need to do? Has Jesus accomplished everything necessary for salvation or is something that we need to do? And the answer is Jesus has absolutely accomplished everything, every little bit that is necessary for salvation. And there is nothing for you to add to it at all. Nothing left. You are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, and nothing else. And as soon as you try to add something to it, it's not Christianity anymore. It's become something else. However, salvation will produce good works in your life, but good works will never produce salvation in your life. Salvation produces good works. Good works never produce salvation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but Jesus plus something equals nothing. Now, why? Well, because you think about this. He has this perfect record that he's offering us. He's giving us. This is the premise of Christianity. He did everything that was required of us. 
And as soon as you try to add something to what he's done, you are now soiling his record. So now you're offering up to the father, look, look at what I have done and what Christ has done. And what it's, it's like, it's like you've tainted something. Just let the message of Christ be enough. Let his work be enough. He's accomplished it all. It is finished. So in our group, there's this row group that's saying we're saved by faith plus circumcision plus keeping the Mosaic law is what they say. Now, Peter says to them, what are you doing? Why are you adding a yoke around their neck that we and our ancestors were unable to keep? And so what's a yoke? A yoke is something that's tied around the neck that pulls you down into the pits of hell, essentially. It's a burden. All right, now, now we ask, what's the big deal about this, this uh, circumcision thing? Well, all right, in the Old Testament, circumcision was the mark that you were part of the family of God. It's a promise. It's a covenant. There's a lot of things happening here, but just look at the imagery of it. So we are cut off from our, by our sin. We're cut off from God. And then God gets involved and he cuts our sin off. So now we can come back into the presence of God. So there's some of the imagery there. And then, okay, what, what is this with the Mosaic law? Well, there's two parts to a Mosaic law. The first part is ceremonial. So this is where you look back in the Old Testament, you see this strange thing happen, like uh, there are these animal sacrifices, and you're like, well, what is all that about? It was very common in that culture back then, and, and you think of the vivid imagery that this creates. What it's getting across is a sinful person cannot just come into the presence of a holy God. There has to be a sacrifice, there have to be a cost to it. And so the animals became that sacrifice or that cost. And all of this is building tension to Christ who would one day come and be the once and for all sacrifice. So now, because of faith in him, all are made clean, both Jews and Gentiles. All right, you have that part. And then the next part of the Mosaic Law are these laws that are made to help us in loving God and loving others. Now, okay. The law is a curse to you. It's not a curse, but it's a curse. Here's what I mean. The requirements of it cause us to fall under this curse. Um, that's the way the Bible says it. Uh, okay, you, you think of it like this. Everything that is required of you by the law becomes a burden because you keep seeing your failures. You see, keep seeing how you can't keep it. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and he intensifies all of the laws of the Old Testament, which is absolutely overwhelming unless it is true that he has saved us from the curse of the law, meaning now all the requirements that the law has put upon us, he has fulfilled in his life and then he has credited us with that. Now, here's what this does to you. You look at the law of God and instead of it feeling like it's something that's cursing you, you see its beauty. You're free now to see its beauty. It can't pull you down and be a yoke or a burden that tears you down into the pits of hell. And when that happens, you not only see its beauty, 
But when you fail to keep it, you already know you're forgiven. But when you do keep it, you bring heaven down. So when you fail to keep it, you aren't brought down. But when you do keep it, heaven comes down. All because Christ has freed us from the curse of the law. I've told this story before, but I think I need to tell it again. Years ago, I was asked to speak at a men's leadership retreat. A bunch of leaders were there. Not, there were some pastors there, but mostly leaders of a church, churches. And in this kind of open forum discussion among groups, I, I posed this question. At the end of your life, why does God say, well done to you? And they started talking amongst each other, and then they started answering, and they said things like, God knows that I've tried hard. They said, I evangelized. I loved God, and I loved others. I was part of a church, and I tithed. And then finally, one guy stood up, and he said, I don't know who your God is, but the reason that my God says, well done, is because he is looking at me clothed in the finished work of Christ on the cross meaning his perfect and beautiful record was credited to him and he knew it. And he would bring nothing to God except the finished work of Christ. Now, if these leaders of churches were missing it, except this one hero there, could you maybe be missing it too? I wonder how many burdens you're carrying that Christ has already carried for you on the cross. Be careful. Christianity might not be what you think it is. It might not be something that's filled with burdens. See, what happens to some people is they, they think Christianity is faith plus something, and they start getting involved in a church, and they keep leaving on Sunday mornings burdened. They feel like guilt, they feel shame. And it gets too much. They go to their groups, their discipleship groups, and they feel guilt and shame. And that's not freedom. You've missed the gospel message. You are free. For freedom, Christ has set you free, as Paul puts it. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If Christianity doesn't sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, it's because you've added something to the work of Christ. You've added something. All right, so, so what are some practical examples of ways that this happens? Well, your parents have probably put expectations on you. And even as an adult, you probably are still carrying some of those expectations. Now, you could blame your parents for this. You could get mad at them for this. The weight of these expectations that I feel like I'm never going to meet. But Paul would say it's your fault that you're carrying those burdens around. Because Christ has freed us. He set us free. And if you're not being free, it's not your parents' fault. It's your fault. Uh, maybe you feel that God has called you. No, you're trying, to, you're trying to figure out what to do with your life. And you have no idea and you feel the burden of that. You're free. Like you're free to just say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but it's okay. Like this is an adventure. This is exciting. Let's see what God's going to do. That's someone who trusts God and trusts in their freedom. Or maybe in this life right now, you feel very unsatisfied, burdened by how little you have accomplished. 
That's not freedom. Or this one. We have this nasty habit of saying, who am I? And then when we ask that question, you know what we do? We look in and we say to our heart, who am I? Who are you? And we search and we search. And, and, and the world around us is telling us to do this. Like, look within, try to figure out who you are. Here's the problem with that. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and sick. Who can understand it? Okay, well, so where do you go? Well, try this on. Who you are and your worth is not found within you and what you have accomplished, but it's found in Christ and what he has accomplished on your behalf. That's freedom. Every other religion will give you a list of rules and a way to live that you must follow. Christianity gives you a person who's, who's checked off everything on that list and fulfilled the way, the requirements of you. He's done it all. And he lifts you up. And you're free now. And now he says, follow me. But you aren't following him feeling burdened. You're following him with freedom and you're stepping out further into freedom. And when he tells you to live a certain way and you don't live that way, you are forgiven. But when you do live that way, you bring heaven down to the earth. That's how free people truly live. And faith comes with power. So you have these new desires to now live a new way. Your heart has been transformed and you have desires to live in a new way and you have some strength in you now to go do that. Not because you have the strength, but the spirit of God has been put in you to strengthen you along the way. Now, question, how can you ensure that you live unburdened and that you don't place unnecessary burdens on others in the world outside of the church? Here's our next point, the life of gospel freedom. Notice that it was in Christian community that they figured out what the truth was. And, and they didn't do it with arrogance and pride. Paul and Barnabas left what they were doing. They could have been like, we know the truth already. We don't need to go and do this. We don't need to prove this to anybody. We're just going to stay here. But they, it's like they submitted to the church to go. And then they went and they met with their friends. They met with the church and community. And they figured it out together with humility. But with that humility came a whole bunch of boldness, a whole, a whole bunch of bravery, and a passion for truth that accompanied compassion for each other. That's how you seek truth. Humility with your friends, but with boldness. Now, here's a false way that is often today how in, in our polarized world today, here's what it looks like. Somebody says, I found the truth. Whoever believes that truth, come over here with me. So everybody gathers up and then a wall is formed. And then poke fun at everybody who doesn't believe what you believe. And that's a way to like rally the troops. That's a way to make everybody feel good and safe in the environment that they've created. But Christianity tears down the wall and says the truth, like the truth is like a lion. You don't have to protect it. You just open up the cage. So the truth goes out and begins to transform. 
Now, so here is what I think truth-seeking ought to look like. I think this is what the text is saying. We're gathering together. So it's like two people or more with different views. And they gather together and they listen. They love each other. They respect each other. They honor each other. But they also challenge each other. They press in. And what that does is that creates an environment of friction And this idea in Proverbs, it says iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's the environment where truth is found. What I love about our church is that we're not only are we a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community and honest conversations about faith and doubt, but we have people from wildly different theological backgrounds, wildly different church backgrounds. And there is unity in our diversity. And it creates an environment where we can challenge each other, but we love each other. So unity happens, but also diversity happens, which means we actually are created an environment where we're better able to find truth. Now, what unites us in this diversity? And the answer is that we have made Christ the centerpiece of everything. He is the treasure who's come down from heaven and he's our prize and he has united us to one another. So then these secondary truths we can, we can debate each other about, but we do it with love. And that's radically different than the way the rest of the world does it. And when the world could see that, they could say, what is it that's unifying them? And they come in and discover we have found the prize of heaven who has come down to us. And it creates this beautiful phrase that goes like this. Unity in the essentials, which is the gospel. Freedom in the non-essentials, in all things, love. That's the way to live. That's the way to have unity and diversity, and that's the way you actually find truth. Otherwise, you're being a bit cowardly because you're scared maybe your truth won't stand. So you want to protect yourself. You don't have to protect truth. Just let it out like a caged lion. Now, part of the problem is with this is that, well, now you have to bend to truth. You can't bend truth. But that's how truth is. All right, now, second, now the question becomes, how do we eliminate barriers for the world? So this, the movement of the gospel message, it's, it's like the, it, it, it wants to get out. So as it gets out, like we're seeing in the, in the early church, how do we make sure that we're not putting barriers between the gospel message and those who don't know the message? In other words... The strength. Did you notice the strange thing that happened in our verses? Like all of chapter 15 is basically an argument that circumcision is unnecessary. And then Paul is very next chapter has Timothy circumcised. Like Paul's fighting for for everyone to see that circumcision isn't necessary. And then he has Timothy circumcised. Now, why is that? Well, for Paul, he wants everyone to know that circumcision is not necessary, but it is necessary for evangelism to the Jewish people. Why? Well, do you notice it pointed out that Timothy's father was Greek, but his mother was Jewish? So what that means is Timothy wasn't, clearly wasn't circumcised because he has to get... And by the way, if you're, if you're Timothy, you're like, Paul, hold on, gospel freedom. Why? I don't, this doesn't have to happen, Paul, please. So... Um, so for Timothy, 
because he is not circumcised, the Jewish people would look at him as unclean. And so there's now a barrier that's been created between Timothy and the work he could be doing to this Jewish people. So what's happening is as soon as he's circumcised and he's following like the customs, they don't have to worry that Timothy's unclean. So now you have a straight path from the gospel that is spoken by the lips, on the lips of Timothy to the ears of the Jewish people. For Paul, he wants to eliminate all barriers to the gospel. He wants to remove all yokes, not just for us, but anything that would be a yoke or a burden as this message is going out to the world. Now, here's an example of something that this could be. Let's say you've been a Christian for 20 years. After 20 years, you have changed a lot, right? You have grown. You're following Christ probably closer. Now, a a potential problem could happen because you're so passionate about following Christ so closely that you could begin to put burdens on someone who's not yet a Christian by saying, live like me. But you couldn't even live like you the first day you become a Christian. It took you 20 years of growth. In other words, you've added something to the message. Or here's another common thing. There's the primary thing, which is the gospel, and then there's some secondary theological things that not Christ, Christians don't all agree upon. So you could enter into a problem where you're so passionate about your view of election or your view of baptism that you feel so strongly that has to also be communicated about what Christianity is. And then what you've done is you've created a barrier between the gospel message and that person. Or you take your political beliefs and you, you say, this is, this is right and I feel passionate about this. So you try to help people come to faith by believing the gospel message and identifying with whatever political party that you are part of. Paul wants to eliminate all gospel barriers. And, and here is the path for Paul. Right, because this has to get worked out. We got to think about this. Like, what does this mean? So here's the path for Paul. Once someone is a Christian, then they enter into the Christian community. And in the community, everyone is sharpening each other of what is good and right and honorable. In other words, when you become a Christian, the spirit of truth enters into you. The spirit is guiding you to truth. So... It's like Jesus is going to sort us all out. Like he's going to work everything out and eventually guide us to truth in community. So we don't have to figure everything. Everyone doesn't have to figure everything out before they become a Christian. And if you expect them to, you're creating barriers in their life. Now, here's my guess. Is that at this point, you pretty much agree kind of with what I've said. Maybe you're a little confused about it and that's okay. But you agree. Now I want to poke a little bit. If you'll let me. And feel free to disagree with me. And if you do disagree with me, just come up to me after and then tell me that. And then we go back to having a little council in uh, Acts 15 and we together figure out what truth is. So let, let, me, just, let me just poke a tiny bit. Um, although you might think it's a pretty hard poke. We'll see. Um, what does it mean 
for us today to circumcise ourselves in order to reach a group of people. In other words, what, what is the barriers that we need to, um, what are the things we need to do in order to eliminate barriers between us and other people? Paul says, I've become all things to all people so I might win them to Christ. To the Jew, I became a Jew. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. I made myself, though I'm a slave to no one, I made myself a slave to all so that I might win them to Christ. I became all things to all people. So, okay, here's the poke. To your progressive skeptical friends, you become progressive. To your skeptic, oh, you guys are so quiet right now. To your skeptical conservative friends, you become conservative. Okay, I know. I'm not supposed to talk about this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Because this is, like, this, it feels like a poke right now because, well, maybe that'll come up in Q&A. Um, you're going to be so mad at me for just doing that. Uh, so here, here's, what, here's what Paul's getting at when he says, I become all things to all people. He's not saying take the things that you're passionate about that you believe are true and just say, I don't, I don't hold to them anymore. He's saying Christ is the biggest prize of your life. And you just want people to know him. Like you're living for that. You're bleeding for that. That's everything. And so you go and you meet people right where they are. You become all things to all people. It doesn't mean that if you're conservative, you need to become progressive. But what it means is this. If you're progressive skeptical friend, you say this. You know, Jesus' very first sermon, the first thing he said is he's come to set free those who are oppressed. He's come for the victims. He has come, the, the primary ethic of Christianity is concern for the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Like justice is so important. And what you've just done is you've met somebody where they are and you've showed them the beauty of Christianity that will resonate with them. Not in a manipulative way, but in a simply a way that's like, hey, like Jesus agrees with you here. Okay, then to your skeptical conservative friend who is just so concerned that the government is involved in too much stuff. You say there's a, there's a Bible verse that says Jesus is Lord. In fact, you could define Christianity by that statement, Jesus is Lord, which means that if there is something that is being told you should live like this, but Jesus is something different than you follow Jesus. You create a little uh, civil disobedience and then your conservative friends will be like, oh, that's so cool. And so again, what you've just done is you've met people where they are. And, and you think about just like Jesus, like he keeps meeting you where you are. He's not saying to you, I'm up here, come on, a little bit better, come on, you can do it. And it gives you like a little kick, like trying to raise you up. He meets you right where you are. And then he sorts you out and he places you in the church in a Christian community where together you are seeking truth. Now, again, I might be in a little bit of trouble with some of you and you might disagree with what I said and maybe I am wrong. And guess what? You could just come and talk to me. And then we figure it out together. We challenge each other, refine each other and iron sharpens iron. This is the hard work of cutting off anything that isn't good and true circumcising it. And then here's our last point, the circumcision of Christ. Christ is your prize. 
and he set you free from every burden. You're free. How did he do that? What happened? Poor Adam and Eve. As soon as they sin, they feel the burden of shame. And they try to cover it up with fig leaves. Do you know what our tendency to do is? We sin and we try to cover ourselves up with the fig leaves of our works. And what we do is we say, yeah, I need to clean myself up a bit before I go to church. I need to clean myself up a bit before I go to prayer to God. I'm going to spend a couple days like being good so that then I could just feel like, okay, maybe I deserve to come into the presence of God. Do you know how someone that's a Christian comes into the presence of God? Completely naked, clothed in none of our works at all. Like we're not saying, God, look at me and love me because of this. We have nothing to bring to the table. And then we are clothed in the perfect golden cloak of Christ's righteousness. And what's happened is he has taken his golden cloak of righteousness off. And he then is naked. And then he's crucified on the cross. And then while he's being crucified, he clothes himself in the yoke of your sin and your guilt and your shame. And when that happens, he is spiritually circumcised. He is cut off from the land of the living. He's cut off from the presence of his father, all so that you can be welcomed in to the land of the living, welcomed in to the beautiful, loving, and wonderful presence of your father in heaven. He endured hell and rose so he could carry us with him to freedom. That's Christianity. You are free, so just be free. And you're going to keep forgetting how to do it. And so you got to keep reminding yourself of who your God is and what he has done for you. Like he did all of that. He was cut off so you could be free forever and always. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to live as people who are free. And that you would give us wisdom in understanding what it means to be all things to all people. To be so free that we could even make ourselves slaves and know that not one ounce of our freedom is lost. That we could be servants to this world for our God so that some may be one to Christ and we would have so much joy doing it because we've seen what you have done for us and we're in awe of it, we're in wonder of it and we just want to live and follow you not because it's necessary for salvation but because you've given us this gift. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.